All right, we are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I have my uh, co-host over here, Jack Campbell. Jack, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And we are wait we are actually waiting for Carmen. We uh we were in the uh, I guess green room you could call it with him here just a moment ago, and uh, he was having a little bit of an internet connection issue, so he is restarting everything. He should be with us here any second. All right. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about this because we've been waiting for, uh, uh, for a long time here. I have anyway, to be able to hear from, uh, to, to hear from Carmen and have him on the show. So this is really an exciting day for us, for us. I know for Jack and I and Linda, uh, it'll oh, be a good educational day for us. Uh, yeah, I know. Day. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. And we have Linda out there. She's out there working the chat. Hi, Ruby. How you doing? Mary's here. Let's see. We got Jan Everson Anderson here with us. Hi. Susan's with us. All right. Give us a quick shout. Let us know you're here. Oh, yeah. God. Yep. So we're just giving it, like I said, we're giving it a minute for, uh, for, um, Carmen to get back here with us. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was, hopefully he's not having an issue. I haven't seen him come back yet, but, uh, we had him, it was, he was having a little bit of an internet uh, delay there, a little bit lag. Um, and he dropped out several times and that may happen when he comes back, he may drop out a few times, uh, during our conversation. And if he does, uh, I'm ready to <laughs> just bring him back on as soon as he reconnects. So we'll, uh, keep our fingers crossed that, uh, you know, we don't have too much trouble with that here tonight. Uh, let's see. I, I, Pat's here with us. Don's here with us. Cheryl, how you doing? Hello. Glad you're here. So, uh, boy, we, that's been a pretty exciting week. I know then I know that, uh, uh, with some of the fines on uh, that we've had. Oh, here he comes. Here comes Carmen. And uh, all right, here we go. And I'm going to introduce him real quick. All right. There is Carmen. He's back with us. How are you doing, Carmen? We're live on the air now. Hi. Uh, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> Hopefully. Okay. Better this time. Yeah, I kind of warned everybody that we may have a little bit of a um, an issue with your uh, internet here today, this afternoon. Hopefully it won't be too bad and we can get... Uh, uh, get a good show. I never seen it. I never seen it work right yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Thanks for all the the wonderful internet stuff. I know, but it seems to be working pretty good at the moment. So, and I went ahead and I talked to folks yeah. that are all here logged in. We've got a pretty good crowd showing up. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to take a couple minutes as we get started here, Carmen, just to kind of ask you about, um, you know, what's happening up in Nova Scotia, you know, with the pandemic, I guess, are you guys closed down again right now? Yeah, we are uh, closed down. We're in a state of emergency. Um, mm. Our COVID numbers are pretty good. We're keeping everything under control. Um, right. You have to use your mask, wash your hands, uh, mm -hmm. sanitize. And main thing is stay six feet away, and we've been pretty good, and our COVID numbers are quite low. But we are sort of getting tired of it. We want to see things <laughs> open up and get yeah. the vaccine and get, the, get this over We're with. We're all good. Yeah. Yeah. We all feel the same way about yeah. that. And, and I know that was something that, uh, last year, you know, we, um, unfortunately with the whole thing with, uh, um, COVID going on, you know, everybody wasn't able to get out to the Island and really start getting to work out there until late, um, well, early summer, I guess, r r right uh, toward the beginning of the summertime. Um, we hope that that doesn't yeah, happen. Sure. Again this year. Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, I know I wasn't involved until the end of June. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, you live in Kentville, I guess, Kentville, Nova Scotia. Um, 
And uh, of course, you know, we all know that, you know, as far as, you know, the show, the TV show goes that you are a blacksmith, uh, obviously, and they bring you a lot of different artifacts. But tell us a little bit about your history. And like you started off going to school to be an electrician. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I grew up on a typical royal inland Nova Scotia community. Mm-hmm. Um, we used oxen, basically oxen, uh, some horses. We didn't start using uh, tractors and modern machinery until at least 1975. Wow. Um, so I went to school, became an electrician, worked for a little while as an electrician. Um, I come to find out I don't like heights. <laughs> so uh, I sort of gave that up. And then I, uh, yeah. Um, and then for um, 17 years, I was a, uh, wood producer so i would produce uh, logs and lumber christmas wow. trees firewood wow. whatever wow and then wow. for the last 18 years i was hired at the ross Farm museum first as a uh, ox teamster and then after three or four years i became blackness full-time wow an ox teamster now that's interesting i know and i know that you you have even written a book about that you have a book about the training care and use of oxen correct and that you wrote that yourself in 2010, I wrote a book called Oxen, Their Care, Training, and Use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go into any bookstore or on the Internet and find uh, lots of books about how to train and use horses. Um, not so much for uh, oxen. So I thought there was a need out there, especially yeah. where there were traditional people or people that wanted to be uh, traditionalists. Mm-hmm. And they wanted you to go back to the land, basically go back to the land and work the land the way their forefathers did. That right. was mainly with oxen. So I wrote the book in uh, partially for the people to learn and partially out of respect for the people who uh, came before. Right. And, you know, and that's very interesting, too, because not only that, it's in itself, you know, about the oxen, but also uh, when it comes in relating to, you know, the blacksmithing, um, there's so much of that that, uh, you know, a traditional knowledge of that or the traditional use of that gets lost over the years. So without yeah, somebody being right. able to do that, you know, and, and carry on and, and teach younger people about that stuff, that, that knowledge will be lost. So that's very interesting. Yes, it's, it's very important, I think, to uh, pass these traditional skills on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I say that I consider myself a traditional blacksmith, uh, I, I, I have a very narrow definition of that. To be a traditional blacksmith, you have to have the ability to do all sorts of things, such as making hinges and nails. Mm-hmm. and bolts and uh, hooks and everything but you also have to be able to make shoes for right. the oxen and the horse and be able to shoe both oxen and horses right as far as i know there's only five in north america that can do that <laughs> oh really to actually make the shoe because i know we had a i was raised on a farm and we had horses um and i actually did raise a steer when i was uh mm-hmm. when i was in F, you know ffa years ago um we didn't i, I didn't well, we lost him. Looks like <laughs> he'll be back in just a minute. Uh, we lost him again. So he'll when he jumps back, uh, when he gets back here, we'll we'll bring him oh, back yeah. in. Yeah, unfortunately, having a little issue with his internet there. But uh, yeah, we'll get some more information from him. Boy, this is pretty interesting already. Oh, there he comes. Let me uh, click on the button here and bring him back. Oh, okay, there we are. You're back. There we go. Yeah, to repeat that one. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen, a lot of that was passed on by mouth, wasn't it, before you wrote the book and everything? A lot of it was, through the centuries, was just hand, you know, handed down by mouth from 
blacksmith to blacksmith, really. Yes. Um, uh, my my training in the last 18 years started off with learning under a traditional blacksmith. Uh, he was a very, uh, he didn't suffer fools. He was a very no-nonsense man. Uh, he shot me, uh, taught me a lot about uh, blacksmithing. Uh, that's one third of my training. The other one third was I was taught by another blacksmith. Um, uh, he, he, he taught me what not to do as to opposed to the first fellow teaching me what to do. Mm. And so that's another one third. And the last one third I taught myself. So I would right. seminars, courses, uh, internet training, books, whatever I could find to learn more about blacksmithing in right. traditional ways. Right. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, and again, I, I know I just mentioned it a moment ago as uh, when we launched you there, but that, you know, it, you, you also do a little bit of teaching, do you not? Teaching some of the uh, people about doing blacksmithing and things of that nature, right? Yeah, I love, I love teaching now. Uh, blacksmithing, I do some reproduction work and uh, mm -hmm. uh, some small items, but mainly I'm a teacher now. Okay. Okay, the one thing I found interesting with that, there were a lot of women that wanted to learn to do this. It seemed like I, I, when I saw a breakdown, it was a pretty close breakdown of uh, men to women. Uh, I didn't catch that. Go there ahead, Jack. No... Go ahead, Jack. Okay, they, I, when I looked it up, I wanted to do this also for ornaments and stuff like that and everything to learn. He was talking about the uh, the amount of women that want to learn how to be a blacksmith as well as men. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, One-third of my students are women. Maybe a little more than one-third, but not quite half, but more than one-third of my students are women. Right. Uh, of course, they don't make shoes and shoot horses, but they like making uh, hooks and trellises and uh, small hinges and some artwork, flowers, right. um, things like that. Yeah, something like that that I started. I mean, I remember when I when I first uh, talked to you about coming on uh, here. What about a month ago? I had sent you a picture of. I worked with a blacksmith. I'm I'm originally, and the members know that I'm originally from the UP of Michigan. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a Uper, and uh, I was working with a gentleman up there that actually does the same thing that you do at Ross Farm Museum. Uh, my mom was very instrumental in setting up a uh, museum in in Kinross, Michigan, up there. And what they did, they had a historical, um, they had a log cabin there. Uh, they had an old school oh, yeah. there, uh, and they had a blacksmith set up. I worked with a gentleman by Bill Morrison. Bill uh, brought me in. Oh, we lost him again. Uh, him again. <laughs> I'm sorry, I folks. Got, I think he's going to have a problem hearing me, Jeff, is what I think it's going to be. Could yeah, be. could be. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, hang in there, folks. We'll get him back here in just a moment. He's, uh, yeah, I don't know if weather is affecting this or not. He is on a Wi-Fi. Oh, there he is. He's coming back. Oh, he's popping back in. And let's see. There we are. We got him back. Okay. Um, so uh, as I was saying there that uh, he was able to teach me a few things. Uh, very, very on the, I, if there's a level before a newbie, that would be where I am. Um, but I was working with him on a few things and I was showing this to you. It's a, a leaf that was, that uh, we pounded out, uh, that he you, helped me make. Yeah, I tell you, it's, it, if it wasn't for him guiding me every step of the way, it would it would just be a lump of of steel or iron, you know. Um, but when you were talking about some of the decorative things, some of the things that he made that were decorative, and I don't know how well you can see this, but it's a, a just a little hook, a little fancy hook, and things like that. 
And I guess this would, like you were saying that, uh, man, and he made this, I had nothing to do with this, but, uh, and the twisting of it just, it's just fascinates me to no end that the, how watching you guys do this kind of thing, it really is. And I suppose it's that very, Boston, go ahead. Yeah. It's a very satisfying skill and you can take mm -hmm. something as hard as iron and mold it to your will. Mm -hmm. Very satisfying. Yeah. Now you're traditional too, because now you, there's no, there's no power hammer in your shop, correct? No. All muscle. Bounded <laughs> away. That's uh, and that's that's interesting because you know so many blacksmiths you see today will have those um, types yeah. of tools, modern day tools, and well, that's um, right. mm -hmm. and you're a traditionalist, uh, so you stick with the old stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't know how to use torches. I don't know how to use a, a welder or plasma cutter or anything like that. I just weld the traditional way, using flux and beating wow. and pounding and smashing. I, I put it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic um, well, one of the things, uh, go ahead go ahead we've been, doing that, uh, yeah, we've been doing that here for 400 years yeah mm -hmm. one of the things i found interesting is that you also help to set up black shops also around yeah. the country mm -hmm. yeah i i i uh i have three blackness shops that i can go into at any one time and also uh i and requested sometimes to set up blacksmith shops for other people. So I've probably done maybe eight blacksmith shops here in Nova Scotia and set them up for different people. And and there's a way to set up the blacksmith shop so that things flow and you're uh, you're not going to twist your back or, or end up with carpal tunnel or tendonitis or whatever. But I had oh, three yeah. myself. I can use it any one time. Wow. That's that is that's really neat, and 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 I know that in that setting of that shop up, that you're also passing on knowledge to the person. I I would assume, um, yes. You know, as far as you know, th that very thing, and that's that's you know, and and I guess in the in the past, uh, you step back, you know, a hundred years or so, um, blacksmiths were very very important in each each town, um, you know, because that was the guy that you went to for making tools for you to do you know farming or what have you correct yes that's right yeah uh, a blacksmith would make and, and also temper all of his tools including his punches uh, um, hammers to some extent not the bigger hammers but the smaller hammers mm -hmm. and uh, all of his own tongs tongs yeah yeah and i see the guy like this bill had he must have had uh I don't know, a dozen, a dozen, a dozen different tongs that he was using over a course of, you know, his, his shop. They're all, they're all, hanging up there, all the different tools. Well, I, at last count, I have 42. 42. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, we had 12 at the shop there, but he probably had a lot more at his regular shop. 42. Oh my gosh. Now why, why you know, okay. I got to ask. And now I got, I got guitars and I could, I would love to have 42 guitars. But why would you need 42? I mean, are they that different? The specialty, like a, like a, I'm going to say a duck bill or, you know, different lengths of the, the ends and things like that. Is that why? Yes, that's right. They all have different bills on them for holding the different shapes and different mm -hmm. sizes settled in different ways. Yes. Right. Wow. Well, one of the things I found real interesting, Carmen, was I read that when you made nails, they made so many at one time that they really put out the nails in a hurry. Yeah, that's people. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we you talked a little bit too about doing reproductions. I know reproductions were um, you had done a few, I guess for for like uh, movies and things. 
well, basically when it comes to the reproduction is uh, other historical sites or other historical museums mm -hmm. are doing repairs and they want some of the items made exactly, not, not, uh, not exactly like they were, but they also want them done or, or made exactly mm -hmm. like they would have been made in a certain time. So they'll come to me and they'll say, I'd like to have this uh, hinge done uh, as they did in the 1700s. First wow. of all, I got to figure out what kind of is it. Is it French? Is it English? Uh, then go back and find out what the techniques were during 1750 or 1795. Or mm -hmm. there are certain there are certain times throughout the last 400 years when uh, techniques changed, mm -hmm. and uh, right. sometimes it might be 50 years mm -hmm. before a technique changed, and might be 10 years right. techniques changed. Uh, the other reproduction things. Are Oh, there he goes. We lost him again. Okay. Well, this might happen quite a bit, folks. And I, I like I said, there's uh, unfortunately there's not much we can do about that. But we'll. Uh, he's we'll, going to have trouble hearing me today too. For reason. We'll just uh, we'll just wait for him oh to get logged back in. <laughs> okay. All right. Here he comes. Okay. All right. There you are. You're back with us. Okay. So you were talking about the reproduction items. Yeah. Yes, the uh, the other thing would be movies. So they would come and they want some of these movie props. With <clears throat> movie props, they don't have to be exactly uh, made as they were in the past, but mm -hmm. they had to be similar. And so I did movie props for um, uh, Lucy Borden, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, wow. Um, some other ones I, I, I can't remember now. I think there was another one was called Moby Dick. I think it was called mm -hmm. Moby Dick. So that would have been relatively recently because you've been doing blacksmithing for how many years now? 17 or so? I grew up doing traditional auction and some horses. I've been a blacksmith for the last 18. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So, yeah, that's that's quite a... Um, a part to your resume to say that you've uh, actually made movie props for you said Lizzie Borden. I guess that was one of the you said. Would that would that have been the axe that uh, was used in the movie? Yeah, the murder the murder weapon was. Oh, wow. uh, uh, they requested me to make an axe that you can't go out on the market and buy. That ah, was so okay. that somebody saw the movie, you know, and they flipped out and they wanted uh, an identical axe to, you know, go out there and uh, hack somebody. They could not find this axe because it's a one of a kind axe. Right. So you were able to come up with your own design then. You were kind of given license to make your own design for that. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's oh. <laughs> oh, wow. There he goes again. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Oh, uh, well, hopefully we'll get this worked out. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things, folks. And I, um, I don't know, like you said, if it's the storm that's going on up there. Um, here he comes. All he has to do is click the button and come back. There we go. All right. You're back again. <laughs> yeah, we're back again. Uh, what was the last question? <laughs> now, we were talking about the ax and you, uh, having a little bit of liberty to make your own design on that. Right. Oh yes. Uh, the, the black, uh, axes are made in different styles. So you can have a shingling hatchet, you can have a, an ad, you could have a splitting ax. Uh, it could be for you and timbers or whatever. This axe was a, just a conglomeration style made into one axe. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, 
so you know we talked a little bit about uh you were teaching others about doing blacksmithing and uh and that and also one of the things that i thought about too was there would be when it comes to blacksmithing there would probably be different um skill sets of course uh and different like i was going to call them levels but they really wouldn't be levels but i i guess you would have maybe in in more modern days i guess the blacksmith of old days would make pretty much everything that had to do with a tool or a hinge or a, or decorative work or whatever, he would do all of it. But today whatever. maybe yeah. go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I was yeah. wondering if today they would be more specialized, like this guy would might work on, uh, you know, railings and grates or gates and things of that nature, more wrought iron type stuff. And then this guy might be more into tools and this guy's more into decorative things. Is that what you're seeing in more today's, today's type of uh, blacksmithing? that you specialize in certain areas? I do specialize uh, in a uh, <clears throat> little bit in leather braiding, but when it comes to blacksmiths, I specialize in making shoes and shoeing the oxen. Not so mm -hmm. much the horses, because there's people out there that can do the horses. Right. Uh, I don't want to take any work away from a farrier, which right. is a horse store. I'm right. a blacksmith, so I tend to make shoes and shoe the oxen. That's right. my specialty. But there's other things, too, like I making... Uh, cloak pins or uh, special types of games, puzzles, stories, pokers. I make pokers in the shape of a, a spear or a sword. And of course I'm hinges, all different kinds of hinges. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly, when it comes to swords and knives, I am a, a little bit of a collector of swords and knives. And uh, as you can see up here on the wall behind me, I have a couple that I have uh, purchased from a uh, place called Legacy Forge. Um, and I've, they, those are, those are handmade. Those are not, uh, you know, something brought over from Pakistan or something like that. Not to say that those aren't good, um, but there are right. more wall hangings or whatever. These were actually made by Legacy Forge, which I, uh, and I, and I'm about ready to make another purchase from them. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I do love the, the knives and the swords and I have a few bayonets that are old that I uh, have also collected over the years. Yes, I see some on the wall behind you on the, beyond my right. Yeah, were right up here. Yes, yes. Those were blacksmith swords right up there. Yes, they were. They were made by Legacy Forge. As a company Very nice. In, uh, yeah, yeah, in, a, in the United States. So, yeah, and I do. I And every time I see them, I, I order something new. So, But I really like those quite a bit. Um, I was going to bring up a, a little bit also. Um, you know, when you do your your work at the Ross Farm Museum, which unfortunately is, you know, had probably seen some rough times with COVID, but yeah. you you're there and you are doing a uh, you you dress up in um, you know period clothing, um, and then you are you know going out and waiting for people to come in. Tell us a little bit about you know what happens there for you at the Ross Farm Museum and your day there, so to speak. Okay. Um the Ross Farm Museum started in 1970. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a, uh, a gift given to the uh, Nova Scotia government on the uh, understanding that the uh, person who donated the museum were to be given uh, a house, a new house, uh, firewood for life, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, Ross Farm Museum was based on... Uh, Captain William Ross, who came in 1816. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, like I say, the museum's been going since 1970. Um, people come from all over. We do a lot of uh, workshops in, 
and and do a lot of seminars and teaching there as well. But it is a public museum. But right now it's uh, it's, it's closed. Um, right. uh, when I first started there, I was wearing an 1820 costume, which tends to be uh, has a long shirt hang down past the knees. Uh, they didn't wear underwear. They didn't have a right and left uh, boot or shoe back then. Um, I did that for about the first four or five years, and then I switched over to an 1870 costume, mm -hmm. which has normal length shirts. They would have had left and right foot. Uh, the shirt would have been uh, cotton instead of uh, linen. And in 1870, it was less of a military style of dress as opposed to 1820, which was post-military and tended to be uh, uh, fluffy and uh, and uh, look military style. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's and all you see how we're dressed up and, and people come and they're fascinated about right. uh, the way we dress. Yeah, and that that's very interesting. And as I was saying a little bit earlier that uh, when my mom was involved in setting up the uh, the uh, the Heritage uh, Society in the museum up in Michigan, um, she was my mom was a spinner. And what they would do is they'd spin wool. So she would dress in the period costume uh, and they would go there and they would set up and, and they would spin wool. And they would also do the same thing like you're doing here, where you would be explaining to people about uh, blacksmithing um, and, you know, being a, I guess it's actually the term is a blacksmith interpreter. Um, and then my mom would do the same thing when it came to um, the spinning and then working with the black, I worked with the blacksmith there as well. Um, but it was very interesting because people could come by um, whenever you wanted for a donation for the, for the museum. And you would be able to learn all these different things about, the way people lived back then. And it was just, it's just fascinating. And I hope that that doesn't uh, get, you guys don't get affected at Ross Farm Museum too much by the pandemic. And you're able to continue that on because it is something of heritage that we don't want to lose for sure. No, sorry. It's very important that we don't lose it. Mm -hmm. And the best way to preserve that is to actually do it, practice and teach. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and thank, uh, thank the Lord for people like you that will do that and, and pass that knowledge on to everyone, because that, I'll tell you what, that's just, uh, again, like I said, we just, it's just something that we don't want to lose. Now I noticed that you have above your door here, you have JJ Morley, general blacksmith. Who, who was JJ Morley? Can you tell us uh, about him? The JJ stands for Joseph Jerome Morley. Mm -hmm. He was a uh, local boy that went to Boston. He, um, he uh, learned the trade of blacksmithing. He worked in Boston for seven years and then came back to New Ross, Nova Scotia and set up this shop in 1910. Wow. And, uh, he gave it to his son who also uh, had uh, his first initial was also J, so they didn't have to change the sign. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the uh, original J.J. Uh, J. Morley, started in 1910 and went to 1955. The sun went from 1955 to 1987. Wow. Wow. And so and that's in, and, and you have the name up there. Is that in like in memorial to them or Pardon? Is sun, the, the name you have above there. That's really interesting that you use that name and that's to kind of carry that on for them, I suppose. Uh, can't catch that. Okay. Anyway, we'll we'll move on. Um, there was a there's another picture there. There's also the, here's one that I thought was very interesting, and we had Ross. Uh, well, we lost him again. <laughs> oh boy. 
Well, we'll just wait for him to come back. I hope this is going well. I hope you guys can hear him pretty well out there. Thanks for uh, coming out. We have quite a few people viewing today. So thank you for coming. Oh, here he comes. He's joining us back. I got to click on it here. There we go. All right. Oh, yeah, so I see yeah, so I brought up this picture here. This is actually you in the in the process of actually shoeing an oxen right there. Yes, that's right. Looks like I was doing the front foot. Yep. Now, how long does it take to shoe an oxen, Carbon? Uh, traditionally, in the past, they could do as high as eight pair in one day. Uh, it takes me uh, about an hour and a half. An hour and a half to do two, a team or a pair or whatever you want to call it. Takes me about an hour and a half. Sometimes wow. I can do it in an hour. That's just shoeing. That's not making the shoes. That's just shoeing. Right. Shoeing yep. About an hour. That depends. That depends a lot on uh, the ox as well. If he wants to behave himself, I can get it done <laughs> faster. But he's always fighting me. It takes longer. Right. Right. Now, do you actually trim uh, trim their hoof as well before you put the uh, before you put the shoe on, like a like a uh, oh, yeah. a farrier would? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Except for a farrier only has one foot to do. I have to do two on every foot. Yeah, so exactly. They have, yeah. Same, they have to be the same height, uh, up and down. They have to be the same height. They can be. Uh, they got to be. They got to be. Yeah. Uh, one can't be tipped up or down. They also I can't be tipped in or out. Uh, and and they got to be uh, you know pretty well pointed in the same direction. Yep. So you have to make individual shoes for individual oxen then? No, uh, you make a whole lot of shoes ahead of time. And then uh, every uh, set of shoes contains 16. So out of the 16, you can usually find eight that will fit the first ox. So he's done, he goes out, the second ox comes in. The last eight shoes may not fit the ox perfectly, so sometimes you have to put it back in the fire. Tweak it mm -hmm. a little bit, bend it a little bit. Another right. interesting thing about uh, ox shoes and horseshoes, uh, if you know anything about horseshoes, you know they're flat. Ox shoes are not flat. They're they're bent so that they are bowl-shaped. And the foot oh, wow. fits the bowl of, the, of an ox shoe, or not, not a horseshoe. A horseshoe is flat. Right. And like you said, if they're not, if they're, if they're not, if you don't put them on properly or if they're not lined up properly, that could damage the... Uh, uh, you know, bring harm, you know, pain or harm to the actual oxen itself. That's right. And, and then they start walking funny. And then yep. by walking funny, you know, they're in pain or so on and so forth. So you have to be very careful. Yeah. And this picture here, uh, you're there with a, with a team and uh, you've got your book in your hand. I know the picture is real small and Ross Farm Museum sent us a couple of these pictures for <laughs> us when we asked. Um, and here's this one here. I wish I could make it bigger, folks. I just can't. But it shows you uh, there with your team and holding your book in your hand. Is that book still for sale? Is that still out on the market for sale? Yes. If you go on Amazon, you can type in uh, Oxen, their care training and use, or just on my name, it'll come up. Twenty-four okay. ninety-five. <laughs> what, what prompted you to do the book? Just because there was really no information out there about it? What's that? What's that again? What prompted you to do the book? Because there was probably what no information really out there about how to do that or anything. About I can't catch going in and out too uh, much. Maybe uh, Jeff, he was uh, asking. Yeah, he was asking about uh, what prompted you to write the book. Was it about uh, because you wanted to get that knowledge out there? Say it again. 
Uh, what prompted you to write the book? When did I write the book? No, what, 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 where, what was your idea oh, about well, it? What prompted you to do it? I think why did kind of, I want to write the book? Yeah. Was it why? Yes. Yes. That's breaking up no, on us. Yeah. Sorry about no. that. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it is breaking up a little bit. I apologize folks that that's, uh, we're having a little issue yeah. with that. Um, and again, I think it's the it's the internet uh, not playing well with us here today. Um, Carmen, you had know. a couple. Of... There's something oh, going on. I can't hear. Okay. Yep. Um, I wanted to bring up. How, is it is it working yet? Are you able to hear yet? No. No. Okay. Um, let's see where we can go. Nope. Oh, he's going to reconnect real quick and see if that'll help. Boy, I apologize, folks. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think he hears you okay. I think it's me. He's having a really a problem hearing. Yeah, it's breaking up on his end, and uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, we might have to bring. We'll we'll probably have to bring him back at some point. Where okay, here he comes back, and we'll see. All right, you're back. Are you able to hear me at this point? We'll keep trying, but it don't work great. Okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to share another picture. Um, this is one that uh, uh, you sent me a little bit ago, uh, showing you standing in front of an Oak Island sign. What's this all about? Well, uh, I thought it was neat to uh, take a picture of this uh, sign. Uh, as you look onto the uh, sign, it says Oak Island Road, and there's mm -hmm. two arrows. And I was just sort of people wondering if people would pick up on, the, especially the people who have been to Oak Island many mm -hmm. times, especially the crew on uh, the you know the fellowship of the dig if they've seen sign before but nobody seems to uh, pick up onto it but i sometimes ask people uh which way is uh, the sign pointing towards oak island is it the arrow on the left or is it the arrow on the right and when you asked uh, me that i was completely wrong i got it wrong both times <laughs> we, both, we both did yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> most people don't know that there's two oak islands on nova scotia yeah one on I the bay of one on the Bay of Fundy and one on the Atlantic Ocean. And the show concentrates on the one on the Atlantic Ocean. This right. one is one on the Bay of Fundy. So these these two uh, places are 100 miles apart. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting because I had no idea. Now, the Bay of Mundy is on the – it's further inland, like on the other side of the uh, – Nova Scotia. I've seen a map of Nova Scotia, so it's actually on the opposite side, basically, of the Atlantic side, correct? That's right, yes. It'd be on the north north side of Nova Scotia. Right. Of right. Uh, one other little thing I can tell you. Uh, um, as far as we know, there's only two islands on Nova Scotia that have uh, uh, the name Oak Island. Uh, the Oak in means door to the right. Door is spelled D-U-I-R. And uh, if you go on the uh, Oak Island that we're concerned with, the door mm -hmm. to the right would be Gold River. If you go on uh, this Oak Island, the door to the right would be the Gasparro River. Oh, wow. The thing is, the Gasparro River and the Gold River all meet in the same place. Oh, really? And where is that? Coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You had one more picture, and I thought this one was really, really interesting here. Um, it looks like a boat launch. 
Oh. Yeah, I think we lost him again. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Somebody here. Oh, Tom Burns said uh, the Bay of Fundy, uh, Fundy between Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, only a few miles from me. All right. Yes. Okay, there, I, right. I there we are. Okay. So, yeah, I brought this picture here up. It looks like you were launching a boat. Yes. Uh, back in 2009, I believe. Uh, we were asked to participate in a boat launching in uh, Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. It's a fairly uh, well-known uh, site. as a world uh, UNESCO site, world heritage site. Mm -hmm. uh, this boat weighed about uh, 7,000 pounds, wow. uh, a little bit more than 7,000 pounds. Uh, you can see me in front of the uh, auction uh, starting to pull it down the slipway. Yeah, There's that's you three, right there. Three to 4,000 people standing there. And that is amazing to me that, you know, you know, and we kind of talked about this a little bit ago, talking about the difference between horses that would be working in the farm field or pulling things, uh, the difference between that and the oxen. Um, and in this particular thing here, you know, with like you had mentioned, well, go ahead, if you would just kind of tell us a little bit about the difference between using a horse to do something and use an oxen to do something, the differences. Yeah. Um, if you notice, uh, the water is in the background. Well, this boat mm -hmm. was down next to the water, and the horses wouldn't go down there. And uh, that's why they asked us to do it with the oxen. The oxen don't have that fear of water like a horse does. Mm -hmm. So we was able to go down and uh, get the boat, bring it up to the street. Um, you can. We went down the street about uh, 300 yards, uh, turned around, and now we're heading down to the slip to launch it. Uh, off on the uh, right-hand side, you see the priest. Uh, you see the lady there with the bottle ready to uh, push in the ship. And, and after this, the boat would have been pushed into the water. Uh, cannons would have been shot off. Foghorns blew and uh, everybody sharing and waving and so on. It was a good day. Oh, I can imagine. That would be really neat. And I would like to be there to watch that. And and being able to do it with the oxen, that's just fantastic. How many oxen were there? Two there? How many oxen did you have there, Carmen, to do that? Just the two? Well, in the image? Yes. Just uh, just those two. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was more there. It looked like we, there was just two in the picture. We did that have another pair. Yeah, we did have another pair on standby, just in case. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to uh, to see that they could pull that. And I was kind of talking about the difference between the horses. You know, I, I kind of related it, whether or not it's a good relation or not. But in my brain, you know, you you work with the oxen is more like a diesel engine. You know, they're hard pulling and they're they're not a lot of speed, maybe, but a really hard pulling. Whereas the uh, horses would be more like your uh, gasoline engine. You know, uh, really fast and all of that. But uh, when it comes to the horsepower or the oxen power, I guess you would need for really pulling, you know, that uh, you would use the oxen in that respect. And that's something that's really, um, um, I mean, they're there. And you said too, also, they can go places that horses cannot, you know, obviously by the water, but I over rougher terrain supposedly too. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons oxen were preferred is that uh, they didn't uh, fear water so bad. You can stand them in water while you unloaded a boat onto the wagon. Mm -hmm. uh, so that eliminated a step of bringing it up on the shore and then on the wagon, you could directly from the boat to mm -hmm. the cart or to the wagon. Uh, oxen uh, are very, uh, if you have a cow 
Kyle has a, a bull calf. Oh, there you went there again. You. Oh, boy. Well, I hope it's not too disruptive, folks, uh, for you all that you can, you know, be able to yeah. uh, uh, get it is, it is very interesting with what he's had so far here today. Oh, I know. He's got some good information to partake. There he is. Okay, yeah. now he's back. Yeah. Um, just... <laughs> have an ox when he grows up. Also, an ox will walk through rougher terrain than a horse. A horse mm -hmm. tends to get nervous and uh, upset. An ox won't. Uh, if an ox, if a horse should shove his foot in a in a hole and get caught, he'll get nervous and break his leg. An ox mm -hmm. will just take his time, pull his foot out of the hole, and keep on going. Uh, a horse requires very uh, high quality food. An ox, you can feed him leaves or meadow grass, whatever. Uh, a horse has a lot of problems such as Evans and uh, founder and colic and he's and death and so on. Or Knox usually has nothing uh, wrong with it. Uh, yeah, I imagine the temperament would be a lot better too. Yes. Okay, so. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, you can always eat it. <laughs> yeah, if you had to, that's <laughs> might be a little that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's interesting. So, um, okay, so I'm going to go um, over here. Okay, so we've, uh, um, but that I tell you honestly, that that is so interesting to me about the using the oxen and uh, um, and the fact that you're still carrying on that tradition uh, of doing that. And and for like I said, I would love to be there to watch that kind of thing. And I know that, you know, talking about the island just a little bit, too, is that, you know, the farmers that were in that area uh, to do their farming, such as Samuel Ball on the island, and many of those that would be inland would, would use oxen a lot back in that day as well, uh, more so than horses, I would think. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's very true. Okay. Um, uh, there has been horseshoes right. found on the island, but most of the uh, shoes have been ox shoes. Oh, I see. Yeah, they never show us that, but I, I suppose there would be. There's no uh, no reason why they wouldn't be. Uh, horses right. on there as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking right. of the island, so we'll we'll kind of jump over to the island a little bit. Um, there sure. has been uh, quite a few finds, and of course, your job um, for the uh, the Oak Island the team is to um, to take things that they find in the ground uh, that they dig up or wherever they come up with them uh whether it be in the money pit or anywhere else at a swamp and they bring them to you for analysis and dating um that has to be a fine art to be able to look at something and not only know what it is when most of us do not but also be able to give some sort of a date to it and uh, uh that's 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 got to be a, a fine eye to be able to see what what kind of helps you with the dating of stuff like that well uh, a lot of the items we grew up using the same items oh Beard, hooks and all those hinges and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started working for the museum, again, they would come to me and say, uh, I, I want a French hinge, French hinge made in the uh, 1750 style. But first of all, I would have to find out. So then that kind of mm -hmm. led for me to uh, research, well, what kind of style was it in the 1600s? What kind of style was it in the 1800s? How mm -hmm. did it change? How did the French make theirs as opposed to the German and the English? And I concentrated on the French, German, and English during the last 400 years. Of oh, there he goes. There he goes. 
All right, we're getting back here. There's a couple of pictures that I have here that I want to uh, ask him about. Um, so I've got some pictures of some of the items that uh, he's found on the island. All right, here he goes. Uh, another uh, thing is uh, I was a curator for a local museum here for a few years, so that helped me oh, wow. to, uh, do some research and uh, identify more artifacts, more so than just blacksmithing artifacts, but a lot of it was iron artifacts as well. Plus, right. um, you know, it, it, it was part of my job to uh, know how the traditional styles of each mm -hmm. of those nationalities in all those years were made. So it, 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 it was just required of me to know. Right. And that's something that has to be a, a, a an awesome talent because, you know, when, when you know, I, and I've got a picture here that I want to share. And this is from the island when they're looking at some of the oxen shoes that they have found and many of which that they have brought to you. Um, and you talked about, you know, looking at them, you can tell even with all this encrustation on them like this, you're able to look at them and say, OK, that would be more of a British military style versus another nationality. How in the world do you tell the difference? I mean, obviously you have an eye for that, but help us to understand that a little bit. Uh, do you have another picture of the ox shoes? Um, I, I'm afraid I don't, unfortunately. I think that's the only one I had of the shoes. Um, let's see here. Yep. If you had one that uh, kind of looked down upon the shoes. I could yeah, probably unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately I don't. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, a French shoe usually is more stylish. Whenever the French made their uh, items, they tended to have a fair bit of style, mm -hmm. not quite yeah. much practicality. The practicality ah, okay. was always the Germans. So mm -hmm. the Germans were very rough, austere, and practical. The French tended to be uh, smaller and thinner and more stylish. Oh, okay. The English, the English kind of fits in between the two. They... They were practical, but they were also stylish. Mm -hmm. So when you see a French ox shoe, the front half of the shoe is always going to be pencil thin. Ah. The back half is going to be fairly uh, wide. With an English shoe, it's going to have a, a thin neck, but the very front of the shoe is going to be very wide. It's going to have a big throat into it. Mm -hmm. The French shoe has a big throat into it. That's that curve in the inside. Okay. Yep. With, yep. With, with a German shoe, the throat is going to be very small and it's going to be wide on the back as well as the front. Wow. So now, what's, the, what's the difference between a spring and a, a spring and a winter shoe? Yeah, or summer and a winter shoe. Summer and a winter shoe. Uh, the the uh, corks that dig into the ground. If it's a summer shoe, those corks will be thick. To take the wear and tear on rocks and gravel. Right, makes in sense. In the wintertime, those corks that stick into the ice or snow will mm -hmm. be very thin and sharp, so that it really digs into the ice. Okay, interesting. Yep. Oh, we lost him again. Uh, I think he heard me that time. Yeah, yeah, he did. Let's see. Um, boy, I brought up that one picture. There's some of the stuff, unfortunately, folks, and I have the. Uh, um, here he goes. Uh, oh, maybe. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Try it again. Nope, he's still 
Still going around in a circle. There he there is. He is. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. this isn't being too aggravating for you. Oh, well, it's, <laughs> we won't do this for a whole long time, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, ox user, uh, the forks are sharp, so they dig into the ice. Right. That makes total sense. Yeah, exactly. Now, and again, you know, talking about some of the shoes that you have seen from the island they brought you, I would imagine that they've also found some because we know that Samuel Ball was on the island doing a lot of work uh, with and I And I would assume that the, the farming that he did, he would need oxen. So have you found, you know, some of the more uh, farm use uh, shoes? And what's the difference with those? Would they be more rugged and heavy duty or how's that work? The older shoes that I've seen that that would be like late 16, 1700s were small. Hmm. You wouldn't find uh, really old shoes any bigger than, we'll say, probably four and a half inch from mm -hmm. heel to toe. Uh, Samuel Balls would have used a, a little bit bigger oxen and the shoes would be like five, five and a quarter, so on. So those shoes were for farming. You can sort of tell that they were used for farming because they were... Uh, uh, they were made robust so that they were be uh, used for continual use right. year after year. Right, right. The older ones in the beginning were very thin; they didn't last long. So you've you've found you've have you you've looked at some that were from the British, and did you find any from the French that we were on the island as well from Oak Island? Did they yes. bring you any of those? So that shows a French presence on the island for sure. There were, there were, and then, then of course the farming ones. So. Uh, Wow. And, you know, that's the thing. And I, I kind of think of, of you as a blacksmith interpreter um, and being able to read these metals and understand what they are and where they're, what their use would be is almost in the form of an archaeologist. And I, I, I kind of wanted to ask you what your theory of Oak Island was. But, um, you know, in my brain, also thinking the fact that you're going to work with with items that you find. Uh, from the island to put together a story and tell you the facts of what was there. So what do you what do you think about Oak Island? Before we get further into it, what do you think about Oak Island and what's your theory on who was there and what they've done and all that? Uh, I, <laughs> I would say that um, the team has brought me probably, we'll say 200 items. Wow. Uh, mostly iron items. Some of the uh, items weren't iron. Some were leather. Some were brass. But most of them were iron items. Uh, other than those 200, you know, I can look at them and I can see the blacksmith making them. I can see uh, how he made them, what they were made for, how they were used. Uh, mm -hmm. Just by looking at the wear marks, I can pretty much tell how they were used and uh, what they were used for and, and so on. So uh, putting that story all together, I can say conclusively that I have no idea, no idea what was on that, what's going on. There. I have no idea. I do know the British military were there during the 1700s. Right, right. Now, and you, I think tell me, you tell me, you tell me, what were they there for? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. My thinking would be that they were using it as some sort of a staging point. Um, you know, with the with some of the things that they found, the slipway and that. Um, I would think that. Uh, and we know and, that there was and a up above. Yeah. So, but really, what were they doing there? I, I really don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let the let the artifacts tell you the story. The artifacts tell me a story that uh, uh, things were happening on the island over uh, hundreds of years, not just decades, but over you know centuries. And mm -hmm. there were different nationalities on the island. Yep. Even yep. Spanish. Even Spanish. 
Really? So Spanish uh, on the island as well. Yeah, not a lot of real good expert on Spanish items, but I do know there were some Spanish on the island as well. Why? Carmen, yeah. the one thing I really wanted to know was that with all the items that you've gotten, when you've gotten them from, say, from the land or from the swamp, is the swamp a better preserver of things where you can observe it better once it's cleaned off? Because uh, sorry, sorry, I can't hear you, Jack. Can you tell um, me what you said, Jeff? Yeah, he's asking about the difference of where the items were found on the island, whether it was be like in the money pit area or in the swamp. And then he was asking about the actual swamp itself, the brackish water. Is that a better preservative to yeah. to to maintain them? It it certainly is. Yeah. Anytime you can keep oxygen away from the iron items, it slows mm -hmm. down the process of uh, degrading. Mm -hmm. uh, the iron itself. Oh, <laughs> all right. Remember where we left off there, so we could get him. Oh my goodness, we might have uh, we might have been better to uh, reconvene this at a different time. But we've gotten so far that I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to back out of here. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, poor Carmen having to do this all I, the time. I, I, sorry, I still apologize for all this you have to do. Um, so yeah, we were we were talking about the swamp and its preservative nature. Yes. Uh, let's say you had two identical uh, iron artifacts in 1840. One was iron and one was steel. The mm -hmm. steel one would be long gone. It would be uh, corroded to the point where it would be gone, disappeared. The mm -hmm. iron item, however, it, it corrodes a lot more slowly, and you can see the grains in the iron, and you can actually mm -hmm. see the, the, the orientation of the grains as well. If that iron is kept in, a, in an environment that keeps the oxygen away, such as uh, deep down in the in the in the swamp, mm -hmm. uh, it will it will preserve itself a lot longer than say it was exposed on top of the ground up on top of the hill or something like that. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's very interesting. And some of the things that they I know that um, uh, it, just in the last season um, that we're watching so far, we found that Gary and Jack Bagley found several of the oxen shoe. Uh, in that what they were calling maybe a path that was leading from the southeast corner of the swamp maybe to the pine tar kiln or towards the money pit area. Um, they were finding these oxen shoe in kind of a, a line and they were bringing them to one of the other pieces that they found. And I'm going to bring this picture up. Uh, one of the other pieces they found was this piece here. Now we saw it all covered in, uh, you know, pretty, pretty rough shape. And how would anybody be able to determine what that was? And I know Gary had one idea, but when they brought it to you, you thought it was more of a decorative item. I think if you can remember this particular piece, I know you've seen 200, but if you can remember that particular piece. Uh, I, it looks familiar, <laughs> but I can't really, uh, I can't really say. I remember I you, seeing it. I don't remember what I said about it. I think you were talking about it being on a cart, uh, being more of a, maybe a decorative piece on a cart. Um, I think that Gary was oh, sure. Yes, yes, that was the uh, like a knob would be on top yes. of a military, military style cart. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I thought he uh, he sort of thought it was something to do with the auction uh, itself, uh, the harness or the uh, mm -hmm. uh, whatever they use. But mm -hmm. no, this this particular item would have come off of the uh, cart as well. And and mm -hmm. I do believe it was a cart, not a wagon. Ah. Now and, and and describe that. What what do you see as the difference between a cart and a wagon? If you don't mind my, my uh, a cart has two uh, big wheels, whereas a wagon would have four 
wheels, one on each corner of the wagon. Oh, um, car, carts, were, carts were easier to use, easier to transport, and uh, the uh, cart could go over terrain that a wagon would have problems with. Right. Yeah, though, that definitely makes sense. Carmen yeah, says you've been doing yep, go ahead. for 17 years. Yeah, I think the Laguinas have been there for 12. Did anybody ever come to you with artifacts before the Laguinas started on the island? Anybody has come to me what? With before artifacts. Before the Laguinas came on the island? Before the Laguinas came on the island, did anybody ever bring you anything like Dan Blankenship oh, or yeah. any of them? Oh, yeah. oh, for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, people mm -hmm. would bring me all sorts of stuff, especially along the South Shore. They would show me things that... Uh, mm -hmm. Middle 1600 all the way up to uh, 1890, they were bringing to me uh, to the Ross farm. Uh, I'd say at that time, I was not the only blacksmith there. Uh, they would leave it with me. They would leave pictures with me, and then I would look at them and make a report and get back to them. Since uh, Oak Island, or since I've been on Oak Island and identified some of these artifacts, I get contacted by uh, uh, mostly people from all over uh United States main, mainly, and I get about uh, 10 to 12 requests every week. They show me pictures of their items that they found, and they want to know what they are and, and what they were used for, who made it, and so on. And I, 75% of the time, I can tell them what it is. And I enjoy that. That, 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 that That's very interesting. Yeah. I learned a lot. I learned a lot more, too, doing it that. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can certainly see that. And then yeah. the, uh, the multitude of things that come, uh, and I guess, and I don't know if we, uh, I know we had talked about this a little bit earlier, but, uh, how did you come to be asked? I think, was it, uh, your, you knew Doug, um, to, to be able to, to come to you. They, if they found these things, they say, well, who do we go talk to about this? And I guess, was it Doug that introduced you to the crew to begin with? Yeah. Uh, nine years ago, Doug was the president of the, uh, Kings County museum, the mm -hmm. local museum in the Annapolis Valley. And uh, so I got to know Doug because I'm a director of the museum. And uh, so uh, Doug uh, worked for the, uh, I think he worked for the uh, Nova Scotia Community College. And uh, we're all volunteers with the museum. But when these artifacts started coming up, they were wondering who they could take them to to uh, see what they were. And Doug suggested that, hey, maybe a traditional blacksmith could uh, enlighten them. And uh, they showed me about a dozen items and uh, I was able to wow them because Marty said to me after I uh, got done explaining what these items are, are Marty said, you know what's going to happen now? I said, <laughs> what? Said, You're going to be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel about that? Oh, I enjoy it. It's, 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 yeah. it's, a, it's a good uh, enjoyment. I, uh, I get a kick out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm also, uh, you know, I'm fascinated about the history of Oak Island. Oh, I, yeah. among other people, would like to know what was going on there. Oh, and it just, yeah. the mystery just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it goes over more years and more nationalities and more people. Yeah. Uh, I, I do kind of wish that the island over the last 200 years didn't get all tore to pieces so bad. You know, there's yeah. been a lot of digging in different places. and, and Yeah. So uh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. We were uh, we've talked about it on the show quite a few times. The fact on on on, on this show, um, the fact that like people like Robert Dunfield that did so much damage to the island over the years, 
Um, yeah, really yeah, 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 and and lost so much of that heritage, and that's why, um, that's why it's so important now that they have people like you know Laird Niven and uh, the archaeologist, you know, other archaeologists like Darren, uh, Aaron Taylor, and then he got Liz Michaels and um, and Miriam there working too, and that's nice because this needs to be documented so well, and I'm glad that the Laginas are are very much uh, that's very important to them. Um, it is. Yeah, if only uh, Dunfield, you know, would have been the same way. Yes, that's right. We would have been further ahead in knowing what was happening there. Yes. Yep. Uh, I totally uh, and agree. also, uh, what you see when you watch the show, what you see of Marty and Rick, is exactly what they are in real life. They're they're they're, they're exactly the same as what you see. Uh, Rick uh, and Marty are both very sincere. They're very uh, careful about what they do to the island, and they want to make sure that everything is recorded. And uh, and looked after and, and, and done right, really. Exactly. Done right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's very important. And I think that you know we and again the, on this show here we've kind of talked about that before that you get the sense that they are very sincere about stuff that they their integrity they're men of integrity. Um, they're yeah. not going to plant an item and they say, oh look what we found, you know that sort of thing. Uh, and and also in that we found that the show is um, pretty. It's not scripted. You know, it is what it is. They go out, they have a plan of where they're going to go and what they're going to look for that day or what areas they're going to be working in. They have obviously the separate teams, but it's, it's, they're, we're getting a look at exactly the way it, it folds out for their work day. And, and I think that's very, very important. And I think that that makes us feel better because I've had some people that I've talked to about it that have seen the show and they're like, oh, they're planting stuff out there. And I said, no. And they said, well, how do you know that? And I said, I just get that feeling just from watching these over the course of eight seasons now, watching Rick and Marty and Gary and all the gang, and you yourself even, watching you on the show, to know you're not going to make something up. You know, you're going to give your true opinion. And, and I know this, you're like dating something. You have to be a little broad in that, unless for whatever reason, you know that that particular item was made in 1706. Uh, you have to be a little broad with your, your dating because it could fall between a couple of different areas. And that's, yeah, that's, I appreciate that. I think, and I yeah. think most people do appreciate that. They want to do the show as if the, uh, the viewer is, is there and uh, seeing what they see. Mm -hmm. the Tell me, how many times do they come up to see you during the, during the filming season? Oh, uh, I'd say two or three times a month. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. See, we don't get we don't get to see that. We only see you in little in little snippets. No, well, you know what I mean? When when they film, they film for uh, usually five hours, but I don't get five hours on the TV. <laughs> and that's 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 amazing too because we've talked to some of the other folks that we've had on, and they will say, "Oh yeah, out of a out of a you know, especially some of the theorists that have been on the show, Gretchen Cornwall and and Alessandra and people like that have been on the show, and they will say, you know, oh yeah, we were in front of the camera like you just said for five hours, and they put it, they were on there for five minutes. If if yeah, that, you know. <laughs> that's got to be and so much, and it was very interesting. I'll just mention real quick too that we had. We had Laird, uh, and he's going to be on the. Sh he's coming up on on the on this show in a few Saturdays um, from now. But you know, when we had him on before, you know, he mentioned that very same thing, and the fact that you know, you know, you sit through all of this stuff and you you go over it that we don't things that we don't get to see, 
And one of those, now Laird has put up on the internet, he was given authorization to put a bunch of pictures up um, that we are seeing pictures of Smith's Cove and uh, and and the uh, U-shaped structure that we had never, ever seen before. And I'm sure that there's a lot of that that you could share. I mean, if you could, you know, that type of interesting things, there's so much going on on the island that we don't get to see watching the TV show is my point to that. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, in the summer, it's a very busy uh, spot there. Everybody's running around doing this and that and the other thing. It, it, it's uh, a lot of behind the scenes things. Yeah. Certainly. Yep. Carl, Here's one of the things I wanted to know about was that I know you've only been to the war room maybe once that I can think of, but the time you were there, they had that whole table of stuff, you know, laid out, you know, by year. And everything else. How impressive was that? To see how much there actually was. Yes. Uh, I'm uh, in that picture there that I'm looking at. There, I'm looking at part of a uh, potbelly stove that they would have used mm -hmm. on a uh, ship. Yeah. Um, I remember one episode. They had a whole bunch of items laid out on the table. That that was at the war room. Yes. And and uh, uh, they, I don't know. Might have had fifty items there and so on and so forth. So uh, we went through the items you know, one by one, and we discussed the story that was told. The uh, the one that stuck out to me, and this is my favorite item that I was shown from the uh, Oak Island, was the uh, hardy that was used to sharpen rock girls. The hardy was used mm -hmm. in such a way that I knew there was a lot of rock girls being sharpened there, which means a lot of tunneling or uh, mining at the, at the uh, Oak Island for whatever reason. That was very fascinating. That was you can see him there in uh, on the right hand side there. Yep. Uh, and now, by the way, you see that shoe in the middle? Yes. That, yeah. That's an English. That's an English shoe. Oh, okay. All right. And it has that curve to it, like that. Yep. It has a, a big throat or a big curve, but mm -hmm. a really heavy front end. Really heavy front end. Wow. So they would have to have a blacksmith on the island while they were doing all that. What's that? They would have to have a blacksmith on the island to keep everything in shape. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and that, yep. And that would be somebody they would probably bring with them. I mean, if they were on a campaign coming over and bringing, you know, people over by ship, they would have to oh, have people with different speci you know, specialities, like a blacksmith and that to come Oh, over. yes. You would have to have blacksmiths, carpenters, you know, uh, cord wainers, sail makers, all, all that stuff on board. Yes. Yeah. And, and a supply of iron. Yarn would be kept in the uh, in the hold of the ship at the bottom to provide ballast and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, all those skills would have to be brought with them, right. along with right. the tools and the anvils and the forge, coal, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they have found pieces of that coal. I remember just recently, uh, Gary, they were working in the southeast corner of the swamp, and they were Gary was out doing his uh, metal detecting. And he actually came across a piece of coal. Now, we haven't heard anything. Now, coal probably can't be dated. I know the charcoal can be dated, but coal can't really be dated because that could go back way well, well before people were, you know, the person that was there on the island who dropped it there or what have you. But so yeah, the, mm -hmm. the coal was formed many, many millions of years ago. But it is yeah, also carbon, but it's just been made so long ago that uh, you could, yeah. yes, you could date it and it'll say, Two to three million years ago, 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it doesn't tell you anything about who dropped it there or when they were there. Right. But of course the charcoal can, but obviously from the fact that, that, that Gary found some of that coal there, um, it means you're exactly right that they were bringing coal over. Um, yes. As they're working in that Southeast corner of the swamp, um, they found several things. And, and I know, you know, and, and this was something that Jack and myself and Linda were just uh, kind of talking about. And we were, you know, because oh, we, we asked you, to, we were asked you to be on the show today. And then last Tuesday <clears throat> night on the Curse of Oak Island on TV, they just showed some stuff that they found in the swamp that they're going to bring to you that we can't even talk about yet because you haven't seen it yet, according to us on the show of where we're at in the timeline. There was a, a lock and uh, another piece that they found in there. And I'm like, oh, if only we could have waited and brought you on later so we could find out what those were. Um, one of the items that was found, uh, we have those swages, whoops, is, is this piece here. Now, I know that, again, they have shown us this item on the show. They have not shown you talking about this item on the show. And I didn't know how and i don't want to put you in a in a bad position of course i know you're under nda and not to talk about certain things and i didn't want to bring that upon you but here's a they showed us in drilling down maddie was holding this this eye bolt that i call it or uh, uh i i don't know what the actual name of it would be um and i forget what they called it that night but he's holding on to this this ring bolt or eye bolt and you know showing the end of it here being splayed out like that. What can you, what can you tell us or share anything with us about this particular item? Well, uh, yes, I can a little bit. The, uh, the, when the item was brought to me, they called it a ring bolt. Mm -hmm. And I, I explained to them that it's not a ring bolt. It's an eye ah, bolt. Okay. The ring bolt and the eye bolt is a little bit different. Um, uh, they may show more episodes with me explaining them more about this. Hopefully. Um, so I don't want to go into too many, too much right. detail. I but I will say that the the end there that's flared. Yes, uh, I will say that that was that was done after it was applied to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll come out. Uh, you'll okay. have to get right. back with me again and I'll tell yeah. you. But after it yeah. was inserted, after it was inserted, after it was used, we'll put it that way. Then the end onto it was flared, so it okay. wouldn't come out. Right. I can't tell you what was in. I can't tell you what a Right. It wasn't supposed to come out out of until later. But, right, uh, and that's a and that's the thing because we're so we're so fascinated by the things that they find like this, and and some people are like, oh, big deal, it's a piece of steel, you know. What we want to see gold, we want to see treasure. The thing of it is, is these all tell a story, and like you were talking about before, they tell that story of who was there and gives us a date of you know roughly when this piece would have been manufactured and been on the island. They all tell a story. And as you mentioned, where they're all laid out on that table. Yes, yes. It's, you part, of, that, it's part of the story. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And like yeah. the archaeologist, that's why I kind of attribute you to a little bit to an archaeologist. I'm not calling you one of those dreaded archaeologists like Marty says on the <laughs> show. But, you know, he talks about the, you know, or in my mind, you being uh, kind of in an archaeologist way is where you're going to be looking for pieces and artifacts that you can date and you can tell us who made them and they, they tell a story. So, and, and they put it all together to come up with a conclusion. That's the yeah. same way that an archeologist you, and I have asked Laird, I, I came right out and I asked Aaron Taylor. I said, who do you think was on the Island? What do you think? What's your theory on it? And they go, man, I don't go there. I look sure. at the facts. I dig up the facts. We have them tested. 
and we conclude and we put together a story from there. And that's kind yes. of the same way I think you would do as well. Yes, at sure. with the with the iron items, I tell them what the story is that I see. Mm -hmm. Now they can use that information and, and try to uh, put all the information together to build a uh, a bigger story. Right. The is, it's not one story. So how do you know which item goes with which, right. and so on? So there's there's several stories over mm. many years by different nationalities. So that's going to be hard to uh, figure out. But I'm hoping in the next three to four years that they start putting these things together and come up with a, you know, a, a plausible story of at least so, one activity. Right. A timeline. Right. An accurate timeline. Of yes. A timeline. Yep. Yes. Here's another one more piece I want to show in this picture, and then we're going to go to some questions. We're getting quite a few questions uh, from the folks and uh, the members that are watching here today. Um, sure. This is a this piece here um, is the and this is something that fascinates me. They had the they had the talk where they said that there was an anomaly, a 200 foot long anomaly when they did the seismic um, in the swamp. Um, and they were thinking it was maybe a ship that was burned up or something like that. Some of us were in the background saying, oh, I don't really think that's true. They, you know, how would they, you know, burn a ship in there? How would they even got the ship in there? That sort of thing. Then they find this piece right here. And this is a piece of, of, I guess it was a piece of strap, uh, a, a planking, a metal bracket for some metal, uh, for wood planking, I guess. And it was burned up. And that's one of the things that you had said when they brought it to you, you said, well, this has been in an intense fire. What can you tell yeah. us about this piece? Uh, it was a, a, a rusted out, very corroded piece of uh, iron that was bent at an angle. The uh, angle was very sharp, so that tells me it was uh, uh, for a timber. Okay. And I believe I measured it to be nine inches, which is a very common size of brackets used on sailing ships. Mm -hmm. The holes were punched in a way that was uh, used to uh, uh, connect parts together on a sailing ship, mm -hmm. like uh, clinking. Yep. Uh, yep. The reason why uh, I said it was in a, 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 I think it was a sustained fire or whatever, is that I could see the uh, the uh, the corrosion on the item itself. In other words, I could see the carbon from the intense fire embedded into the grains of the oh, iron. Wow. wow. So uh, it was that was just a, a, an obvious giveaway that that was through a really really hot fire. Right. And that leaves us scratching our head because we're thinking, okay, if this, if, if there was a ship, I mean, why would this piece be there? Why would it be in the swamp and why would it have been in, you know, exposed to a, a very intense fire? So again, they find these pieces, but it leaves us with more questions. Why is, why was this thing there? If yeah. they didn't burn a ship up, I mean, how else would it have gotten there and how would it have gotten burned up? Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I can't answer that. I can only yeah. uh, tell you what the uh, iron seat uh, tells me. But I can yeah. say that uh, uh, the uh, um, they were lucky to find that piece because you know iron uh, in that time period was a you know fairly prolonged process to make. So any pieces of iron that was valuable at all were gathered up and taken with them. So right. to have that little piece, uh, they were lucky to even find that. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you found they found a piece that they took to you that you said was some type of a weapon. It was a real little, about that long. Oh, a pin. It would be used as a weapon. 
Mm-hmm. If I don't know if you remember the piece or not, or it, it almost looked like a na- uh, like a uh, yeah. this is the one you're talking like a threading needle for sailcloth or something. But I don't think it was very sharp. It was only about three to four inches long, and it was sharp. It was a little like a needle, like a large needle that would be used for. That's what we thought. But then you had mentioned it could very well be used as a uh, a weapon of some sort. Oh, if- oh, yes, yes. I, I, know, I know what you mean now. Yes. Uh, it was sort of like a needle. Yes. Uh, yeah. but it wasn't a needle because it had no uh, uh, hole in the other end. Right, right, right. And, and the other end was also sharpened too, but it yes. wasn't. Oh, we lost him. We lost him. All right, he'll get back and he'll finish telling us about that needle. All right, and then we're going to go to questions uh, from everybody because we've been on uh, for about uh, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and here, here he is coming back, and we'll get to some questions here in just a moment. Okay, yeah, you're back. Yeah, the uh, the needle was uh, on the other end, uh, was uh, tapered to a, a sort of a blunt. So it had like a half-inch taper. That mm-hmm. tells me that it was inserted into uh, a wall, a uh, piece of wood or, or, or whatever. And 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 uh, it it wasn't an all. Uh, it wasn't a, um, a an all would be tapered on the end, but it would be tapered square so that the all don't turn. If you have right. a completely round all and you insert that into a piece of wood, what's going to keep it from spinning? Right. So it has to be square tapered on end. This was completely round on both ends. One being mm-hmm. a long taper, the other one being a short taper. So that right. tells me that it was some sort of. Uh, uh, you place them in places where you don't want people to go. Basically, that's what it is. Wow. Sort of like a, a booby trap or, or you just put them in places where you don't want people to go. Uh, right. They can they were also uh, used in farming too to keep, you know, cattle and, and, and uh, wild animals away from certain places. All right. So it, it, it may not have a military aspect to it or a, uh, a booby trap aspect to it, but more yeah, of a, uh, maybe a farming tool or use. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, I okay. wouldn't know that. But, uh, right. Sure. Yeah, that would be hard to determine at that point. But that was that that just, you know, and I think like Jack was saying there, that just kind of blew us away because initially we were thinking when I saw it, I thought, well, that's some sort of a needle or, you know, a yeah. sailcloth needle or something. Um, but like you said, there was no hole in it. So I thought, well, you can't drag, you know, your, your thread through with, without having that hole in the end. So oh, uh, and, and this was a very well-made, very refined piece. So uh, there was hardly any corrosion. Yeah, I, remember I think it came from deep underground, if I, if I remember right. So you, like I say, again, it, it was put to keep people out of there. Right, right. Now, if that's deep underground, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's and that's kind of one of the things that we always go back to. And, and I know this this not part of your specialty um, ex- or expertise is that you know the whole fact that you know people say, well, there's no treasure there. Okay, there may not be a treasure there, but I tell you what, by golly, people have been 200 feet underground tunneling, and you have found. Uh, evidence of the tools that would have been used for tunneling uh, in the things that you've looked at where you've seen the chisels and the hammers and whatnot and the swages, um, which definitely leads to that, to tunneling. Why were they down there? You know, and again, you know, that just, okay, so there may not be this big 
you know, vault down there with all this gold and treasure and artifacts from religious artifacts and the, you know, the menorah or, you know, whatever. But yet this, we have, I think, officially proven that there was people working several, you know, a hundred or so or more feet underground in tunnels. What else would they be doing down there? So yeah, it was a major, uh, uh, major activity there uh, mm -hmm. for a fair bit of time as well. Right. Uh, again, exactly. it could have been different times over many uh, hundreds of years, but yes, we know that there was a lot of major activity down there. We all know there was leather uh, book bindings. There was mm -hmm. uh, bone. Uh, you know that stuff gets there somehow for a reason, yeah. and <laughs> you know we just got to know more. That's all. We just yeah. got to. Yeah, we need more. You keep a blacksmith very busy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna open up to uh, take some questions from some of the uh, some of the folks out there uh, sure. in, the, in the chat. And one of the questions that I did have popped up here. This is from Tom Burns, and he said he said I understand brass was used in the construction of ships and fittings, and with the shipping activity on and off the island. I, he wonders why Gary would not be finding more brass items on the island. What's your theory on finding more brass type things? Uh, well, first of all, they have found some brass. <laughs> okay, uh, I, don't want, I think I know where you're going on it. Uh, too far in there, but uh, no, the brass items has has been found. Okay, all right. So we'll leave that for a future show. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, let's, see uh, let's see. And I know that, uh, go ahead, Jack, do you have, uh, you have a couple of questions that were given to you ahead of time? I was wondering, uh, with the strength of the oxen, was that one of the main reasons why they were on the island? Because I read somewhere where somebody asked could they move the rocks and no one was cross around to make that cross. And is that it'd be much easier for the oxen to do it than for be for the horses to do it or something like that? Yeah, uh, uh, a team of oxen. Um, let's say they weigh uh, three thousand thirty-five hundred pounds together. Uh, they can pull thousand pounds. <clears throat> so if you have a rock that's weighs ten thousand pounds, uh, you can pull it with oxen. You can place it wherever you want. And uh, orient the rock, tip the rock, turn the rock, whatever, with a pair of oxen. Yep. So uh, it, even if it's a big rock, you can use two teams, three teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, like again, uh, 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 oxen can go places where horses can't. So even if there wasn't a road, the oxen could still snake through the woods and haul that rock wherever you wanted it. Mm -hmm. Again, the uh, typical team could pull, pull about 10,000 pounds or five times. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And of course, we were talking about Nolan's Cross, and I know again that's not your expertise, but moving those stones around to get that in place—that um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, men aren't going to be well; they could if they get enough men and ropes to do something like that. But again, a team of oxen could do it fairly easily. I would think. Yeah, a couple. Hmm. I, I don't have any problem with the uh, with the movement of the rocks and putting the rocks in a certain place because I know the oxen, two or three teams could uh, do uh, all the rocks on Oak Island. What mm. I have a hard time getting around is how did they know where to put them? Right. Yeah, I know. You're exactly right. 
That's uh, and and I that 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 expertise to be able to line up. You know, they said that the rocks were like Nolan's Cross were lined up so perfectly, the length, the distance apart. I mean, that to me is just. It, it kind of blows my mind that we have a hard time doing it with today's technology, but they were able to do it however many hundreds of years ago. Just uh, yeah, very, well, fascinating. very fascinating. I don't, I don't, uh, well, I know they had uh, certain navigational technologies back then. They still had, <clears throat> they could measure distances and angles and uh, degrees and all that. But how, how do you, how did we know how the Nolan's Cross was going to be superimposed on the island? Right. I don't know how. Yeah, yeah, me either. Yeah, that kind of stuff just blows me away. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, one, one person asked, this is Patrick uh, Franklin, asked, Carmen, do you think that there is a Templar connection on the island? Based upon what you've seen? Are you asking? Well, you're do I know, or do you, are you asking me if I think? If you, well... <laughs> <laughs> uh that that's it okay um i well i would love to ask you if you know uh but i don't know can you tell us that well if, you if you're asking, if you're asking my opinion i yes. can say yes yes there is a templar connection all right uh do i know do i know that for certain can't tell you okay all right fantastic well wait i don't think wait. many people can girl i think oh, that's yeah. still that's still a big question with a lot of people. How many yeah. nationalities are in there? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's something that, uh, you know, we've had some guests on that are historians in Templar history. Um, and uh, listening to them and researching a, a little bit with them, I am on board with believing that they left over there in the early 1300s, probably 1307, and came across from Scotland mm -hmm. and then came across to Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. Scotland. And then set up over here, but uh, that's interesting. I'm glad you. I'm glad you uh, were able to uh, put some uh, put some put that to bed just a little bit anyway for us. I appreciate you know, that. We now know that uh, cross Atlantic navigation back in those times wasn't quite such an ordeal as it uh, you, know, you would one time think, right? right? Once you go to Faroe Islands, from Faroe Islands to Iceland, Iceland to Greenland, it's only a hip and a skip and a, and a hop to. Uh, Vinland, which mm -hmm. most people think is uh, part of Scotia, or, or <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, did you have another one there, uh, Jack from the from the members? No, I don't right now. Okay, Jeff, I don't. Um, okay, let's see. I've got one. Uh, Joe has actually said not metal. It's not metal related, but how long does it take to film a meeting uh, that you would do? Um, let's see with the Oak Island crew. Oh, you had kind of mentioned about when they come out to bring you something, are they there for a few hours or how does that work out? What was that again? It has related to uh, when they're coming out to do filming with you. Um, uh, let's see. How long does it take to film a meeting with you uh, with the Oak Island crew when they come out to your shop? Yeah. Are they there for a few hours with you? Yes. Yeah, so I would say roughly uh, two to three. Wow. And, and we see, you look at this one, you talk about it, you look at this one, you talk about it, and they say, okay, bye, and that's all we see. <laughs> uh, they bring to me in the uh, black shop. I usually have about five minutes to look at them before they uh, ah, okay. start talking, talking about them. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Um, let's see. Okay, so I'm trying to read some of the, I'm reaching out to the members here. I'm trying to read some of the questions that you guys have put up. Um, and I'm scrolling back, uh, looking at some, there's been, I tell you, there's been so many comments, uh, over 177 comments so far have gone by here. So I'm trying wow, to, I'm- <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really been going, um, let's People see. People look forward to hearing you today, Carmen. They really did. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That's for sure. Um, let's see. Oh, they're talking about gypsum, gypsum mining. Uh, so one of the guys, oh, Henry was actually answering Tom about gypsum mining in Mahone Bay. Do you, I, that's not your area of expertise, but what do you, do you know about that as well? Gypsum there mining? Were, there were gypsum mines here, uh, uh, not too far away from Oak Island. Hmm. Were they doing hmm. that on Oak Island? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I know that there were gypsum mines. I live uh, close to a place called New Miners. It was called that because of all the mines, but mm-hmm. most of them were copper mines. Yep. Herman, the question I have is they had to have blacksmiths on the island to get all this stuff done, you know, to keep up, to keep working and everything. Yep. But they never really put up any, they've never found any buildings or structures. Could they do all that out in the open? No, it would have been in some uh, enclosure, somewhere it's out of the wind. Uh, not necessarily a building. It could have been just some enclosure that had a little uh, lean-to or, or some protected place out of the wind. Uh, as far as I know, the only uh, blacksmith site they saw was uh, Samuel Ball's place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, the one thing, uh, well, uh, Tara, uh, Tara, um, Lorraine is asking the question, uh, is there anything that they brought to you that you were not able to identify? Two. Really? Wow. There was two. What uh, did they look I, like? Oh, <laughs> if you could, <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> that's, that's, that'd be interesting. Something yeah, that you I mean, could not identify. That's a, then they're not going to show that to us on the show. Obviously, there was two items. I, I uh, they had me stumped. Oh wow, that's interesting. Because I know that, uh, and again, you know, we're going to see coming up here in future episodes. We're going to see some of the stuff that they just found. Um, oh, sure. and, and I know that they, you know, one of them was like a, a lock plate or a cabinet, uh, a cabinet like a lock mechanism for a cabinet. Uh, and then they actually found what kind of looked like a paddle lock. It was covered in mud and everything. We didn't really see that yet. Um, but also the brass knob, I guess it was a brass knob. And I don't know, you know, we saw that. We And, of course, they kind of played it off in the commercials, which Prometheus loves to do and tease us with it. But it looked like, oh, it's a shiny gold object and it's big. And, and then as soon as he rolled it over on the show when Gary found it, we see the hole in the bottom. And as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, that's a knob for a cabinet. Yeah. Or something. Um, well, I know you, you. You have a little bit of blacksmithing uh, uh, background, so you would know. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. Yep. So, uh, have have they? Did they? And I know you probably can't talk about it because they haven't shown it. But did they? Have they brought that to you? Were you able to examine that item? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But there will there will be more uh, about it on upcoming episodes about the lock and the uh, knob and so on. So. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say too much more of that right now. That's fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. And I and again, we just love 
the fact that you are on the show and that you are able to yeah. do this because again, as an archaeologist looks at those little pieces and then they take something and they send it off to the specialist to look at it with their microscopes and look at it with their analyzing machines and all of that. We love seeing that and we love hearing about those things. But we also love when they bring you something and then you can hold it in your hand and you can tell us the story about that. And that, that to me is just, uh, it's, it's, it's priceless because you're able to identify most all but two of the items uh, that they brought to you and tell us a story about those. And that's, uh, yeah. that's I can't tell you, I can't tell you the composition of the, uh, the uh, <laughs> element used in there. I can tell you it's iron or I can tell you it was made before 1840 or, or after 1840. Mm -hmm. I can tell you it was made in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s or 1900s. But I'm, I tell more, I can, I can see the story. I can see what it was used for, how it was used, how much it was used and so on. So, but, uh, as far as telling you what the, uh, elements of the uh, item, I know right. it's iron, carbon, steel, manganese, phosphorus, all that, but, uh, right. you have to analyze that scientifically to know more about that story. Right. Yeah, that's it. I was just trying to read some of the, the other things that are coming up here. Um, Cameron, I got one here for you. Uh, they found you found a portion of the pot belly stove that you had yep. here a while back. Mm -hmm. Now, would that have been something a blacksmith would have done? And then they put it in, or would you have made something like that? What was that again? The the portion of the pot belly stove, the latch door that they found and they brought to you, um, is oh, yeah. that something that a blacksmith would make, or is that something more that a production, like a factory, would make? No, that was foundry made. It was a, uh, it was a, uh, uh, a mass produ mass produced item. Okay, okay. it was not mm -hmm. made by a single blacksmith. No, it was made. And it's by a different a type of a, yeah, it's a different type of a of a, a metal too. It's not, um, it's not more of an iron type metal. I think it's more of a, like a cast, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it's not. It's not as. It's not technically wrought iron. Mm -hmm. It was just mass what? produced. Okay, you kind of touched on it earlier, um, but one of the members asked, "What was your most your your favorite find that you that they brought you from the island? What 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 I, I think was it the swages or you know what was your most favorite find that they brought? That was one of them. I I pretty much had two, <clears throat> the uh, swages. Um, there's a little bit more I can tell you about the swages, but I can't. I'm not allowed to right now. But maybe someday okay. I can tell you more okay. about the swages. Well, but we the swages want to have you come back at some point. Oh right? yeah, you're gonna have to come back. Uh, the swages are the uh, the item that really blows me away because of the age and the use and the amount of uh, mining and tunnel that it indicated. But just uh, 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 I was awestruck. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other item was the um, the hand point used to chisel ah, mm -hmm. or, or carve into uh, rock. It was fascinating. Yep. I held in mind the very same thing that somebody way back when were using to carve messages or script wording or whatever into right. stone, rocks, whatever sort of thing. It was just amazing to... To see the craftsmanship and the way it was used, and uh, mm -hmm. it worked so well that I w went and uh, I reproduced a couple for the uh, production crew. Oh wow! Uh, made one for me as well back home to, to uh, where do they live again? 
Uh, yeah. Oh, Traverse City? Traverse yes, City, Michigan. Michigan, yes, yeah. yes. And most of the crew, I think, have come from uh, California. So, yeah, yeah. it's kind of neat. Production yeah, some of stuff out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, most of the production crew is from California. There is some production crew that I guess lives in Nova Scotia. Uh, and oh, then, yeah. Uh, and then you have um, the folks that are from Michigan, you know, out there, Laginas. Um, they're yeah, they're homeboys with me up there. Uh, they were originally yeah, the up there, I believe, too. If, yeah. I now, if I remember correctly, they're from the western side of the UP, where I'm an eastern UP person. So I lived on the eastern side when I was up there, and that's what I I still call that home, even though I I live in western Pennsylvania now. I still call the UP home when people ask me, and I've got a right here. I got a couple of hats right here with the UP that I've seen, uh, uh, like Marty wearing that. But uh, that's that's where I'm from. So, uh, yeah, and that's so, you know, and it's, you know, really, I think as far as longitude and latitude, I was going to look that up one day to see how, how it relates to Oak Island, because the weather seems like we have swamps, we have the, the, a lot of cedar trees we have in our area, but it's very similar as far as the, um, you know, the weather is concerned and the things that they have there, certainly the stinky swamps. And I know that that's uh, one of Marty's favorite places. Um, I was just looking yes. back to see if we had some other questions, and I know I've missed some folks, and I apologize for that. Um, Speaking of Marty, he makes very, very good wine. Does he? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Linda, you're at Linda. Yeah, well, Linda's had some. Linda, Linda has uh, she for whatever reason she can't get it there in uh, where she lives directly, so she has to go to a couple of other people to get the wine brought down to where she is. Yeah, very good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Carmen, there is a question here that somebody had. I, all I have is Facebook. They talked about a stove in the bottom of the shaft that would be yes. used to draw air into the shaft. Mm-hmm. Now, would that be something a blacksmith would make, or would that be come over with them and they just go ahead and put it down there? Yeah, that was something that Alessandra, when you were on with Alessandra Nudivari, um, she did a very good interview with you. And that was something that she had brought up about a way to bring fresh air into the tunneling area while they were down there working. Can And again, I know you said that on her show and it was very good. And and I'm sorry, Alessandra, if I'm taking this, but how could you explain to us how that would work? How would they bring fresh air into a tunneling area like that? Uh, once you get down you know, uh, we'll say uh, 40 or 50 feet. Uh, and, it, and it depends on the uh, the airflow on the area and whether you're against the wind, away from the wind, and so on. But you're going to have uh, fresh air drawn down into the mines. Mm-hmm. So let's say you had to go down 200 feet. You're going to have to create a hot air rising up somehow. And if air rises, it's heated and rises, it sucks cold air down. Mm-hmm. The cold air down is what you can breathe. So right. you, you would create a flue. A flue could be a, a, a wooden container all the way up. It could be piped. It could be, a, you know, a, a place carved into the side of the uh, cave or side of the wall of the mine mm-hmm. or whatever. But at the bottom, you're going to create a coal fire. and Coal will heat up the air and, and send it up the flue. That forces cold air to come down and replace mm-hmm. the hot air that goes up. Right. So that's how, that's how you can breathe down there. Now, uh, what you need to find, see if that actually happens, uh, 
um, charcoal and and coal and the balls have been burnt and coke, you know, uh, uh, clinkers, you know, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then you know that there was uh, a hot air, cold air transfer in that area. So the cold air would come down the big hole. The hot air would be just off on the side, uh, going up a small flue. It would be like mm-hmm. two feet by two feet. All right. Yeah, that makes total sense. When you when when I heard uh, when I heard that uh, you explaining that to her before, that makes total sense because you know obviously you know uh, people that have worked with building fires and chimneys of that nature, you know that it draws that air in through any in your house. Let's say you had you know the fireplace in your house, it's going to draw fresh air from every little nook and cranny in your house where it can, and it's going to go up through that chimney. It's going to draw that air in. That makes yes. total sense that that would work to uh, to bring fresh air into that deep of a, of a mine. And yeah, I never thought right. about that before. Yeah, if you do uh, some research on um, back in medieval times, uh, the miners would go down a half mile or even further uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in the ground. But periodically throughout the, uh, the whole mine, there would be mine shafts sunk just for that reason to make hot air go up. And that was... Right. Uh, bring in cold air for the the, the whole time, all the mine, uh, you know, half or a mile underground mm-hmm. or even mile long underground. Right. Yeah. Wow. It worked very well. Yep. And I, uh, yeah, I, I imagine it would. And that's because uh, that, that's fascinating that it would be done that way. And that's uh, uh, something that I hadn't thought of before. And uh, I heard you explaining that on her show. And that was very, uh, very interesting. So I'm glad and somebody did. One of our members did ask that question to kind of get try to get an idea about that. Um, well, I tell you what, you know, uh, this has been fantastic. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say that um, if that technology or similar technology would have been used back in the, uh, what was it, in the 50s, I think, or 50s, 60s, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, we wouldn't have had the uh, restaurants die. Yeah. Yeah, that's there was an accumulation of poison gas down underneath that didn't get uh, right. circled. Yeah. That's what uh, that's what uh, killed three of them, three or four. Yeah, as they went in, and not only them, the restals, but then the people who went in to try to do a rescue attempt, uh, a few of them died as well. Yeah, and I didn't re- at one point on the show they had said something about H two S gas. Uh, and then on another part of the show, they said something about the CO2 that was from a running engine or something is flowing down into the hole uh, and asphyxiated them while they were down there. Um, I, I work in the safety industry and I do uh, I work with gas detection monitors uh, every day. Um, so I'm very familiar with H2S gas and CO2 and CO that can be uh, uh, very deadly. Um, so when I heard that, that, that speak to my and again, back then. They weren't so concerned about that, but if they had some sort of a fresh air uh, system set up, you're right. That probably wouldn't have happened. That uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, some of the rescue workers said that it's not like rotten eggs. Ah, then that would be more of an H2S, I think, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah. Yep. Wow. And that's too bad. Yeah. And I, and I know they talk about the legend of Oak Island, you know, Oh, one more has to die before the treasure. Can, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe all that, but uh, uh, it is definitely a dangerous thing. And we've seen, you know, where they put divers down in 10 X and divers down in H eight and that um, just that thing itself has to be very, very, very dangerous just to, uh, yeah, that's for sure. you know, 
yeah. to, to be able to go down in there. And some of the work that Billy does, when Billy was working in the uplands and he had his excavator right on the edge and he was undermining under him, you know, when he was digging, you, you just get scared for them. I mean, I know that that was several months ago when they did the filming for that, but you get very scared for them, you know, so. Well, did you see when Rick drank the water from the swamp? Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh. 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 There was about a, there was probably about uh, two and a half million people all gagged at the same time when oh. he did that. <laughs> he spit it out, but still. Oh. Still, I mean, you switch it around. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I, you know, being from Northern Michigan up in the UP, we are, we deal with swamps all the time. And we used to go, you know, have to dig out beaver dams that created swamps and things like that. And I mean, it is mucky and it is smelly and, it, and, and they're in there digging and crawling around in it. I'm just, oh my. Oh. Uh, and that swamp up there is just as bad. Oh. Yeah, I know you've been on the on the island a, a few times, uh, you know. So I, I suppose that you would have uh, you got a chance to smell that yourself. Oh, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly look forward to uh, the, uh, the the rest of this season, obviously, and the finds that they're going to bring to you. Uh, there will be more fascinating things coming up. Yes, as, as, uh, right. well, We hope you'll come. We hope you'll come back and tell us what you what you I'll, found I'll, out. I yeah. will. Don't worry, I will. <laughs> Yes, we'd definitely love to have you come back because this has been a uh, just an awesome uh, afternoon that you've spent here with us today, uh, Carmen, and giving Very us good. information about it. I really wish we didn't have the internet issues that we had. Um, hopefully next time we won't have those and we'll be able to uh, continue on. But there are some more finds, like you said, and I'm sure there's more that we even haven't we haven't even seen yet um, that will be coming up that we can check out. Uh, and we just, we really look forward to that. I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day to come and spend this with us uh, and give us an education on things on the island. And not only that, but things that you have done in the blacksmithing world. And uh, I just wish you all the success. Oh, one last question I had to ask you is now that you are a world famous, and yes, you have to say world famous blacksmith, how has this changed your life being on TV and being so well known by uh, people around the world? Well, uh, um, I was amazed, and I'm still amazed that uh, uh, you know people didn't know this stuff about the items. You know, already I figured everybody knew what these items were for and how to use and made and so. Uh, it, it this show and, and uh, doing this just kind of brought it, uh, made it real that. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't know what these items are and how they were used, they were made for, and so on and so forth. So now I feel as though I have to pass the knowledge on, I have to pass the skills on. Yep. Uh, do yeah. I feel a chip on my shoulder that I'm responsible for that? A little bit, but not a whole lot. But I, I do kind of wish that the uh, the knowledge and the skills, especially the skills, yep. traditional yep. skills, don't get lost. Yep. I agree. It's a part of history. Yep. Yes, it is part of history. But I thought everybody knew it. Yep. I just realized now that no, not everybody does know what a, a hand point looks like or a swage looks like. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I yep. just figured everybody knew. Yeah, when that came up and they were looking at that, immediately I said, oh, that looks like a, an ancient sledgehammer, you know. Well, okay, it was for pounding or it was for sharpening. But I had no idea. And then when it was mentioned that it was a swage, I'm like, okay, I have no idea what a swage is. No, no, yeah. no. 
That's so, right. So, and and I and I enjoy that. That's fascinating. And yep. uh, and I will do my best. Yep. And that's why we need people like you to teach us about that sort of thing. And I really hope that you're able to continue passing down that knowledge to others um, so that it doesn't get lost. We need that. We need to keep that. Um, that it's very, very important that, that not only the techniques for blacksmithing, but all the other things that you've been able to show us and teach us about is so vitally important for, for history. Uh, like Jack said, and it's, it's, it's an art that I hope is never lost. And thank you for what you do to pass that on and the work you do at the museum and the work you do on the island to educate us, educate us all. Um, and I wish you all the success. I hope that uh, we have, you know, like you said, we have many more finds coming up and I can't wait to see them. And again, I want to thank you for so very much for coming on with us today thank and joining us all this stuff. It has been absolutely phenomenal, and I know the guests will. Um, if you'd like, I can send you. I know you're not actually a member of our group, and I don't know how you uh, feel about that. But what we do is sometimes we we ask that our because now we we've reached over 235 comments um, on just on this time we've been on, and there are many questions that I missed on. I'm sure I missed them. Um, but if you, you know, what we'd like to do is sometimes go back and take a look at some of those questions and maybe answer them later after the fact, because this is, stays on YouTube. It stays on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can view it on YouTube and answer questions there if you'd like, or even be part of the group. But uh, again, I want to thank you so very much for coming on with us today. It's been an sure. <laughs> it was we hope to have you come back. We want to have you come back and tell I us. Have you come come back. Back. <laughs> Certainly will. Uh, it was enjoyable, and uh, thank you. This is one way that I can uh, sort of pass the history on, and uh, or at least the interest to mm -hmm. uh, you know more about your own history. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Yeah. It was nice right. to meet you, Jeff and Jack. Thank yep. you. Yep. It was really nice great to meet you. you. All right, folks, I'm going to wrap it up. And uh, with that, I'd like to say to you all that are watching out there, if you do go on YouTube and you're watching from YouTube, please do us a favor and click on that subscribe button that should be down there on the bottom. It's a little red button says subscribe. And if you click on the notification bell there, you will be uh, told, given notification of whenever we have new content uh, available and coming on and shows we have coming up. Uh, again, I would like to... Uh, uh, thank you all for being here. And again, thank Carmen for coming here and giving us his expertise. And he has said he will come back. So we're going to hold him to that. All right. So I hope everybody has a great afternoon. And again, thank you for all for coming here today. All right. All right. Have a good day. Very good. Very good. Hope for a better connection next time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good day, everyone. See ya.